This is John Zaninovich. Welcome to Move My Mass. You'll be hearing from great guests talk about balancing life and being fit. Hey, Nicole. So, Hi, John. <laughs> so glad to have you back on. Thank you for having me. I wish, um, you know, I knew you were doing an Ironman, Ironman Coeur d'Alene, and I was looking forward to having you on and talk about how that went and <laughs> how good of a time or bad of a time it might have been. And, you know, of course, you ended up with the DNF, Do yes. Not, Did Not Finish, your first one. Yes. First. Ever. Do Not Finish Ever. Ever. <laughs> and we'll get into the race a little later. Mm-hmm. But first, I would just want to talk about the training. Okay. Was it what you expected? Would you have done more, done less? How'd it go for you? Um, so I had a coach and um, I really liked her training approach from the get-go. I remember her saying that most people overtrain for these things right. and uh, we're not going to have you do that. Uh, so she was really respectful of the fact that, you know, we had lives outside of triathlon training. Yeah. Um, you know, we're not pro athletes. Right. I may like to pretend I am sometimes, but um, so I feel like there was good balance with the training. And now that being said, it took a lot of work to fit it into my schedule. Yeah. But once I got into the routine of that, I felt like there was balance, you know, early morning swims, early morning rides on the trainer mm-hmm. um, before work and kids and family. Um, the really the hardest thing was, is trying to fit in long weekend rides because right. they took a lot of time right. and then the open water swims. Cause we don't have a lot of options in Bakersfield for open water swimming. We have to drive, yeah. um, either up to Delano. I actually took a little field trip to Long Beach one, uh, one Friday when yeah. work yeah. was slow. So, um, so that those are the trickier, trickier aspects of training, but in general, I felt like it was very manageable. Okay. Um, how many hours were you averaging? Once you got, I know it ramps up, but yeah, what was I mean, your average once you were really doing your build sessions? and Probably 12 to 14. Okay. I mean, that sounds like a lot, actually, when I say that. It is a lot, except four or five of it's probably a ride. Yes. Yeah. So ride. so the swims were two to three swims a week. Mm-hmm. Um, the rides were two to three rides a week. Yeah. Um, runs were two to three rides and really or runs and the runs were pretty short in general. They were usually a run off the trainer during mm-hmm. midweek and then maybe a short little run after a long ride uh, on the weekend. We did start getting into longer runs as we were getting closer and closer in those kind of final build phases. But all, honestly, I felt like it was manageable. And maybe that's just because I got so into the routine of it right. that it just felt normal. In fact, right. it kind of feels weird not to be doing that again. <laughs> yeah. So, and this was two weeks ago? Uh, two, yeah, two weeks ago, I think. Yeah. And so now that time has passed and the higher low of it has passed, mm-hmm. do you still feel like, okay, I can, I can do that again? Yes. In like fact, I, I, in fact I am doing it again. Yeah. Um, the Ironman gods smiled upon me and the Tuesday after Coeur d'Alene, they actually reopened registration for a few select races, um, due to loosening COVID restrictions. So Mm -hmm. I actually was able to get a spot in the previously sold out Ironman California, which is the inaugural race. Where's that? Sacramento. Nice. End of October. Okay. October 24th. Yep. So I was pretty set on redemption. (laughs) 
Immediately, right? Immediately. Yeah. I mean, as soon as I started to feel better within the next day or two um, and could kind of really process it and think about it, I thought, you know, I know I can do this. Yeah. Um, you know, I know my training was good. You know, I had a few little hiccups in training, but I know in general it was good. I had the fitness to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, so why not just give it another shot? Yeah. So I am. And I know swimming was your least favorite or your was. your right. <laughs> now that you've done it, how did how was that? Well, let's uh, just get into the race. Okay. So yeah, how was the swim? Uh the swim was amazing. Um it was it went better than I could have expected. Uh, and I and I credit that to the training. I mean, I had the swim fitness that I needed. Yeah. A lot of it was built in the pool. Um, so I, you know, I really and I I had that fitness, but then I did get enough open water experience that I felt more comfortable. Yeah. And for me, in the open water, you know, in all my training sessions, I always had a paddleboard with me, mm-hmm. uh, somebody on the paddleboard, right? Um, and that really helped with gaining confidence and not having that fear. Um, that that was a game changer. I had that paddleboard. I called it my security blanket, my emotional support paddleboard. Yeah, yeah. I had various people that would come with me and do that. So that was a big help. Um, and then just getting in the water the two days before the race and swimming on the course a little bit, making friends with the lake, as I called it. Yeah. Uh, that helped immensely. It's so cold that, water, right? Well, really typically it is. Typically uh, it's in the lower 60s, but on race day it was about 70. Oh, wow. So it's actually perfect. Okay. Perfect. But, you know, it could have been a couple degrees cooler, but right. it wasn't bad. Didn't okay. feel too hot during the swim. Um, lake Coeur d'Alene is stunningly beautiful. And it's a two-lap swim, right? It's a two-lap swim, which is a little bit unusual because on the second lap, when you come around, you actually get out of the water, yeah. run up on the beach just a couple of feet and get back in, yeah. which, you know, a lot of seasoned triathletes that are really strong swimmers, I think were kind of frustrated and annoyed by that. I actually really liked it because it just gave me a chance to reset. I could wrap my brain around swimming 2,200 yards. Yeah. Twice. Right. right. <laughs> and it was a little easier yeah. to just yeah. compartmentalize the swim in that way. So I think you just have to right. find ways to, in these long races, is compartmentalize it rather than think about the whole thing. You can't or it will be overwhelming. Yeah, it's too overwhelming. So I'm yeah. like, okay, I'm going to go for 2,200-yard swim. I've done it a billion times in the pool. I've done it in the open water. I can do this. Right. So that was really that was really helpful. And the lake is so clear and clean. and It's beautiful area. It's beautiful. Yeah, beautiful. So you're thinking, all right, the swim's going better than expected. Well, I didn't realize it was going better than expected until I got out of the water for that to go into that second lap. And I glanced at my watch and I thought, holy cow. Yeah. Whoa, I swam that way faster than I thought I would. The taper was working. Yeah, <laughs> I, thought, oh, I was so excited. So right. starting that second yeah. lap, I was just so happy. And yeah, and, yeah so it was awesome. And then, <laughs> then you get in the bike. Then I got on the bike, which actually started great. So the bike course at Coeur d'Alene, for anybody that has done Coeur d'Alene, um, they have 70.3s and they've had full Ironman there before. It's really tough. Right. <laughs> on a a lot of day. climbing. A lot of climbing. It's about 7,000-ish right. feet of climbing. Um, so that in and of itself makes it a really challenging course. It does have a section, a short out and back that goes along the lake, which is beautiful and not too hilly. And you get a nice cool breeze in the morning. Yeah. And then it has a really long out and back out on a highway where all the climbs are. Yeah. And it's totally exposed. There's no shade. Yeah. Um, and you do you do that short out and back twice. You do the long out and back twice. So it's it's a really tough course. Um, the first 
lap around, things were going good. Things started to not go so good at about mile 70-ish, and the temperatures were getting really hot. Um, and that's when I was on some of the hardest climbs of the day. Right. I mean, we're talking long climbs, yeah. miles right. of climbing, right. six, 7% grade. Yeah. Um, and what's really, I was talking about this um, to a, one of my training partners, asking if they experienced the same thing as my feet were killing me on the bike, which is something I really hadn't experienced. I've worn the same bike shoes for a couple of years. They're in good right. shape still. And it dawned on me, my feet were burning. Because the temperatures coming off the pavement were over 130 degrees. Yeah. With that heat rising. Right. And it didn't, it didn't occur to me until after the race and I was kind of processing them. My feet were literally burning. Yeah. <laughs> it's uncomfortable. It's not it's good. It's terrible when you're trying to climb. So right. it was so that that was tough. But um, yeah, so things things were starting to go south at about mile 70. Um, I really just barely made it to the aid station, which is about mile 83. Uh, I was starting to become a kind of disoriented, swerving a little on the bike, just having a really hard time getting my fluids and my nutrition in because my stomach was really starting to not to be happy. Um, so at that point, I think that climb that took so long, my fluid intake went down. Yeah. And by the time I got to the aid station, I was really shaky, having a hard time just balancing on my bike. Right. Um, when you know things are going south really bad. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I really thought, you know, I think when I got into the aid station, you know, I got my bottles filled up. The volunteers were amazing. You know, they basically came up to you and what do you need? What do you need? They're putting ice down my, my kit. They were right. getting ice and fluids in my bottles. And, um, and I just, I just remember the volunteer that was helping me, she was holding me by my shoulders and steadying me. And she said, you know, kind of just asked, I think she probably had a checklist in her mind of right. make, you know, asking questions to make sure athletes are okay. I mean, that's part of their job. Right. Um, and she was asking me questions. And I just remember her saying, I don't feel good letting you back on the course. And she's like, you do not look good. And, and I think at that moment, because I still was in this mindset, like, I just need to get my fluids. I need to get my temperature down yeah. and I'll be okay. But when she said that, and I realized my stomach was still like, you know, <laughs> not happy. Yeah. And I realized she was right. So when you were <laughs> approaching it, were you still able to take in fluids? I was, but not a lot. Not yeah, a lot. It's weird because you know you need them, but you have zero desire to take them in. Yeah, and, and there were a couple of things with that, with it being so hot out. Yeah. All the fluids that I had on my bike were hot, which yeah. decreases that drive to drink right, right. there. Right. Um, and then, you know, I did have a water bottle that I was using to try to keep myself wet Probably wasn't doing that enough in retrospect. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because I was trying to drink as many fluids as I could. But I think when I realized, you know, that what was left on the course to finish the bike course, you know, it's 30 miles short of the end, right? Yeah. It's only 30 miles, but that 30 miles still had like two or three major climbs and was still on that exposed section of the highway. And still a part of the day where it's still getting warmer. Oh, no, still getting warmer. Absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, all of those things, when it sort of just crystallized at that moment, and I realized there's no safe way out of this bike segment. Yeah. Because one of those, and one of, there was a big, long, that big, long hill I just come up, I had to go down that. And it was a treacherous enough descent that it was a no passing zone, no arrow bar zone. Oh, uh, okay. So, and it was on a pretty narrow piece of shoulder, so, you know, it's a little hairy, right. you know, and if you're not, you're not feeling hundred percent, those kind of situations, I think 
can become really dangerous. So it starts getting too mentally. Yeah. You have to put that much thought into the ride. Right. Yeah. And when you're versus just, all right, I just have to ride. Just going for it. You're worrying about crashing. Yeah. Yeah. And I think if you're not feeling like 100%, um, you know, you don't have 100% of your faculties with you and focusing on just riding straight is becoming a challenge. I feel like that's when you know things are not right. going well. Yeah. <laughs> and um, so, so yeah, it was a tough call to make. Um, like I said, just not ever having a DNF before. But, and I, and I kind of sometimes think that, you know, had this happened on the run portion, I feel like I would have maybe been able to salvage, salvage the day. But when you're on a bike, I feel like you de- it's a different scenario. Well, especially if you have climbing. Yeah. Now, if you have a flat bike, okay, you can also still maybe just maybe you can. It. Yeah, yeah, but a when long day. yeah, so yeah, so I literally got on the struggle bus. They had a bus there, the aid station. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's an Ironman, so even it's an Ironman. Yeah, yeah. And it was. <laughs> you, didn't, you didn't quit a easy race. No. But back to the bike. Would you do that ride again on a on a triathlon bike, or would you? Use a regular road bike with all the climbing. Man. I've asked a few people that, and they always say, yeah, I'd still do it on a triathlon bike. I probably would still do it on a tri bike. Because um, I hate climbing. It's tough because you tri-bike. don't have those extra gears. And, yeah. Yeah. It's, the angles are different. Yeah. I don't, the climbing on a tri bike doesn't bother me. And I like the fact that when you do have a descent, unless it's a descent that's deemed a no arrow zone, like this yeah. one of those descents was. Um, I like the fact that you can get your in your arrow bars on the descents and you can gain, you can get a little rest. Cover some room. Yeah. And you can increase your speed. So that, I mean, that is a benefit to it. I guess yeah. you could do that on a road bike. You can just get real low in your drops, but um, I don't know. I'd probably still do it on a tri bike. Okay. Less weight to haul up the hill too. That's true. That's true. <laughs> so struggled, couldn't finish it. Thinking back, anything could have helped you. And you mentioned, you know, maybe keeping yourself wetter with some cold water. Yeah. I mean, there are some things in talking to my training partners that kind of worked for them that I was thinking, yeah, I wonder if I would have tried that, if that would have worked. You know, one of my, one of my friends had said, you know, wearing it, she wore a handkerchief around her neck during the bike. So she was able to keep her neck wet and cool with, you know, another yeah. aid station. So maybe, yeah. you know, maybe that's something I could have done. Maybe I, I could have kept myself wet more off more during the race and right. just get that kind of cooling effect. Um, I did have one at one of the first, I think it was the second um, bike aid station. And I was refilling my aero bottle. My plan is to refill with Gatorade endurance, which is what they had on course um, at that particular aid station. Mm -hmm. So I grabbed the bottle and anybody who's done triathlon knows that you, you know, you grab it on the move and you quickly refill your aero bottle and you can check the bottle before it's, you know, you leave the aid station uh, area. So I grabbed the Gatorade endurance. I was ready to fill up and nothing was coming out. And I found out later, I finally just got frustrated and stuck it in. I had an empty bottle cage just to hold extra fluids. Um, The seal on the Gatorade bottle hadn't been peeled off, (laughs) which was really frustrating. I should have, in retrospect, I should have just stopped really quick. I would have lost less than a minute to just stop, unclip, and just refill it. Um, But I may have gotten a little bit behind. I still had fluids on me. I had three bottles with me. But, you know, those little things, you always wonder, well, did that start to set me back a little bit? I know. So what was your what was your goal time? Did you have a goal? Gosh, I feel even silly mentioning this because in that heat, well, <laughs> it probably should have been If adjusted. there was no heat. 
So or, I mean, regular temperature. What, what was, you know, when you were training, like, I want to do this in what time? So I thought that it was very realistic and possible to hit 13 and a half hours based okay. on, and that was giving a lot of cushion to every, every single leg of the race. Right. And I still feel like that would be very doable. Right. I didn't, it was not an aggressive, I didn't think it was an overly aggressive goal, just knowing the course and right. knowing that it was going to be warm. I didn't necessarily think that it was going to be over a hundred degrees. Right. Who would up there? But yeah. so it's funny to, you know, and I'm not a, I'm not a fast racer by any means, but I would like looking back, you would say, why didn't I just stop and take the, you know, you're not winning the race. Right. You know, and what's the difference? If even if you hit your goal at 13 mm-hmm. and a half, or what's the difference between 1330 and 1332? Right. Right? Yeah. Like, but you get into that race mode and you're thinking, I have to go. Yeah. I have to go. Sure. I have to go. Because you, you know you are racing yourself. Yeah. But yeah, there are things you just wish looking back, why didn't I why didn't I take 30 seconds? Right. Or even to a full minute. Yeah, that one thing. Yeah. That yeah. probably that kind of heat, you know, that kind of stuff saves borderline heat. Yeah. It when does. It's that hot. My, you said 30% of the field didn't finish. I've seen That's 28 huge. and 30%, which is yeah. two to three times kind of an, a normal DNF rate for it. Yeah, I think man. they're like just under 10. Yeah, right? yeah, kind of eight iron. to 10% yeah. is, yeah. I think, average. Um, so that says a lot about the heat. Yeah, for sure. And, and obviously there's, you know, I think one thing that we have to remember, and I, and I, I admit I don't always remember this, is that with endurance races and ultra-endurance races, running, triathlon, is that you can control the controllables, but you can't, you know, there's always going to be things that you can't control. Weather's going to be one of them. And you can even control how you try to manage the heat on a particular day like that. But even your best efforts, you know, things are going to happen. Right. Like physiologically, our bodies are not really meant to perform in that kind of that heat. Far. Right. I mean, it's just, no. you know, things are happening, you know, when you have blood flow away from your gut to try to cool your skin and it makes it hard for nutrition to, mm-hmm. you know, to get absorbed. I mean, those kind of things, you can't really fight that. <laughs> right. Right. So you, you were prepared nutritionally, obviously that's what you do. Yeah, actually so I was pretty happy. The nutrition was good. There were some things I maybe would have changed in terms of what I had on the bike. I mean, I took what, what I done? trained with and on that day they just didn't taste that great. So like I had some gummies that I thought, Ugh, these are way too sweet. I wish I had brought something. Especially else. on a hot day. I know. They're even worse. Yeah. And, yeah. and it, it just wasn't, I wasn't loving eating them. Yeah. I ate them. You know, I felt like my, you know, just looking back at what I had consumed calorie wise, I was right on track. Mm-hmm. So that was going great. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, it is hard. The heat is something that is really, really hard to manage despite best efforts. The bummer is, is now that you've, pretty much pushed yourself to heat exhaustion. <laughs> it happens easier. Yeah. But to me, it does because I've done it. Yes. And now I, I really can't handle the heat. Yes. Ever since. And it's a bummer because it's always hot. Yeah. <laughs> around yeah. Here. And that is something that, you know, I'm hopeful that, you know, I really don't want to think about, you know, what that's going to mean for future training. I think I'm hoping that I maybe nipped it in the bud a little bit. Yeah. I mean, I definitely was showing the signs of heat stress and heat exhaustion I don't know how far, you know, how quickly or how quickly it would have turned into a worse situation. Yeah, yeah. Because you just don't know. It can happen so fast, right? It does. Well, and you're not going to stop until you have to. Exactly. So you know it's coming. 
like like ah, if I just get to that next water station, yeah, if I just yeah, if I just coast a little bit, right? I just you go through all the scenarios in your head of if I just yeah, and then but it oh, it just gets worse. It does, and it gets worse, and it gets worse, and it gets harder to come back from the further you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. for sure. So October, mm-hmm. you have another chance. Yes. With uh, and you well, first of all, before we talk about that, you are going to hike the the John Muir Trail mm-hmm. with a couple friends or one friend, one other friend. Yeah. And that is happening. That a is week. happening a week from tomorrow. A week from tomorrow, July seventeenth. How long will that take? It will take uh, our tentative itinerary is eighteen days. Okay, so we're so actually close to three weeks. Yeah, close to three weeks. And then you'll get back, and then you're going to get right back on the Iron I, Man horse. I have yes. So I've already talked with my coach. We have a plan for about a six week build, and then kind of a three ish week taper. So that gives me two to three weeks when I get back to just decompress and and relax and maybe get just kind of get slowly back into the routine of run, bike, swim, swim, bike, run. Right. <laughs> so I haven't even looked at that course. What's that course like? It's pancake flat. <laughs> Which that's hard too. I know. I know. <laughs> I kind of wish there was a little bit of rolling hills and maybe yeah. there are. It just says flat on the yeah. description. Yeah. Um, but it is a river swim in the American River, and it is a downriver swim. So that should be a really interesting experience. <laughs> yeah. Whenever I look up triathlon, if I think about doing one, I see a river swim. It just always turns me off. Oh, really? Swim in the river. You know? Yeah. I don't know. I don't want. Because I would look at my time. I'm like, is that my legit time? True. Uh, it, is, it is a huge aid. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But I mean, I, I'd still do it. Yeah. But. Yeah. So it's the downriver swim. It's a more or less flat run and flat ride. So it should be. Good time of year for good weather. I am hoping so. Yeah. But you know what? You trained. I mean, even though Coeur Lane was a lot of climbing and you trained with climbing, mm-hmm. but you still trained a lot of flat road. Oh, yeah. I mean, so living here in Bakersfield, there's plenty of flats to train on. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. And you did have, you know, I remember meeting you at the pool and you talked about you had an injury mm-hmm. for a little while. Mm-hmm. Would you do anything different? Well, what was the injury? So I had, <laughs> triathlon has been challenging for me this year. Uh, so I had a week before I was supposed to do St. George 70.3 in early May as a dress rehearsal race for Coeur d'Alene. Yeah. And literally the week before St. George, I developed a calf strain. And I was on an easy run with my training partners, could not walk on it, had to get picked up <laughs> because right. it was too painful to walk on. So that Any set me morning back. of it coming or they just happened no. on the run? Yeah. No. I mean, I've always, I mean, I usually deal with some tightness in my calves, which I'm pretty good about rolling and stretching mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Um, all of that. But it just literally came on, started as a little tightness, like, oh, I'm feeling a little niggle on my calf. Let me stop and stretch it. Oh, I'm going to keep running and just bam, it yeah. hit me. So, yeah. um, so that calf strain set me back. I couldn't run on it for about five-ish, six weeks, but I was still biking and swimming. Yeah. So I wasn't really too worried about that setting me back. I think the only thing is not getting some longer runs in the heat. Maybe, maybe I feel like might've benefited me, but right. I was still riding. I was still swimming. I was doing PT. Um, I was getting a lot of work on it and actually come race day. What was the core issue that cost it? Not sure. My doctor's not really sure. He said it could have been overuse. It could have just been a fluky thing. Right. Um, 
I still don't really know. It was kind of a surprise. It yeah. literally came out of nowhere. Yeah. Um, so I was still able to train by the time we were tapering down for Coeur d'Alene. And I was actually starting to ramp up my running a little bit because I hadn't really done a whole lot. Um, I felt good about it because I had a plan that in the race, I was going to run, walk the marathon anyway. Mm -hmm. And so that actually worked beautifully having come off an injury mm -hmm. uh, while training. So, yeah. and it was fine. My calf was feeling great. And it's fine. So, so what made you, you mentioned, yeah, I remember you mentioned that you were going to run, walk it. Mm -hmm. What made you decide to go with that strategy? Because so, it seems like people think about it. Yeah. I run, walk it because I have to run, walk it. I don't go into it saying I'm going to run, walk this thing because as a strategy. Right. I'm just, I can't run a marathon. Why? can run a marathon by itself. Sure. Can't do it at the end of an Ironman. Yeah. <laughs> and so I just know I'm going to walk parts of it. Right. Well, so I talked about it with my coach mm -hmm. and we, you know, I really had lofty goals for the marathon, just being a runner yeah. Yeah. primarily that I really, you know, I thought that this was going to be my time to shine. Right. Right. And she did kind of talk me down a little bit and say, Hey, remember this is the end of the Ironman. Uh, you know, let's set a goal, especially coming off this calf injury. Um, let's set a goal to run, walk it. And she's like, do that. And if the last 10K, you feel amazing and fresh, run the last 10K. Right. So that's kind of the approach that that we took. She's, she really yeah. kind of talked me into it. And, and I felt good about it because that was working when I was returning back to running in my training. The run, walk was working. And I thought, I feel good that I'm not going to re-injure or aggravate my calf. Right. And um, I thought it made sense. It made sense to do the run walk. And I had a, it was a four one. So four minute okay. run, one minute walk. Yeah. So not a lot of walking, no. but, um, but enough to just break it up a little bit Yeah. and maybe keep the legs feeling fresh so that in that last 10 K ish, then you can just tear the bandaid off and go for it. Right. <laughs> it, and it, I've heard, you know, like if you go with the strategy of run walk, like mm -hmm. to stick with it. Yeah. And you will put in a faster time exactly. than running until you're tired yes. and walking. Yes. And that and that was one thing my coach really emphasized. Is she said, if this is what you're going to do, you need to do it from mile zero. Right. Do not wait until you're so fatigued because then you will have slowed way down. And yes, exactly like you said, you'll be able to put in faster times. And I even saw that in my training. Like one of my last long runs that I did, I did a 10 miler and, you know, I did it at just over a nine minute pace with a run walk. Mm -hmm. And I thought, hey, I could. This would be amazing if I did this pace at the end of an Ironman. Yeah. I mean, that would be awesome. Yeah, so I, I was a yeah. convert. I'm like, oh great, I'm going to do it. This is not. I'm not going to try to qualify for Boston at the end of an Ironman. It's just all right, about right. preservation at that point. So yeah. if the run walk is a strategy that works, go for it. And I love the four one because it's a lot easier. You know, when your brain is going south at the end of a race, you can't do math in your head. Um, you know, four one is easy. You know, right. every five minutes you get a one minute walk break, yeah. or every you know, in every five minute block. You know, you're gonna get a minute. Right. Yeah. So and then that damn minute's gonna go by fast. It always goes by fast. Yeah. And it goes by faster and faster. Yeah. <laughs> so back to the swim. Are they doing wave starts in Coeur d'Alene? Is that what they did? Or was it a mass start? It was a wave start. And uh -huh. I love the start. So they did sent the pros off. Mm -hmm. um, and then they started with the age groupers at about 535. It took a long time to get everybody in the water yeah. because they were starting three people. No. So three people? Three people every five seconds. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Which actually was really nice. That is nice. Because it takes there was, away my favorite part of the swim. The, the, the elbowing and yeah, the fighting the, for position. The front part. Yeah, that's the fun <laughs> part. But... 
So, but at least it's nice for like, all right, have open water. It was a very relaxed entrance into the water. And even when the buzzer went and we, you know, went into the water, it wasn't, it wasn't this like sprint for positioning. We just waded in because I lined up with two of my training partners that were planning to swim about the same pace. And the three of us lined up together, which was great. So you could randomly line up. Yeah, they had, they had a a self-seating. So we lined up based on our anticipated finish time. Gotcha. And then from there, they, they had you, they were kind of queuing you up on the beach to go three, you know, three people every five seconds. Um, So we just waded into the water, took a couple breaststrokes and then started swimming. Yeah. it was super relaxed. That is, are you the navigator or did you rely on somebody else? Um, well, once we were all in the water, we all kind of went oh, yeah, <laughs> to yeah, other ways. Yeah, yeah, we spread out quite a bit. And and I did. No, I think we were. Oh, yeah. I was just trying to navigate myself. Which yeah. Navigating the open water is always something you have to learn how to yeah, do. It's, it's a learning curve. But I totally gamble. I pick I pick somebody that's just my pace. Just hang on. I get on their hill and I'm like, <laughs> I hope you're swimming straight. I mean, of course I check. I tried a little bit of that. I but I, I will bit. hang on there for a long time before I check. Yeah. I'm like, all right, you still, he or she, you know, they're still yeah. swimming straight, so I'm going to stay like yeah. this. I usually try to cite, I, one thing I do in open water swimming, which just helps me to stay relaxed, is I count my strokes. And okay. I, I'm just counting the whole time. Yeah. My mind is wandering and other, other thoughts, but I'm yeah. counting my strokes. And every, usually every six strokes I cite, six to ten, just depending. And so that's just what I did in the race. Right. It got a little tricky on, because it is a long rectangle course, Mm -hmm. and it heads out, and you make the left turn, and we were looking right in the sun. Oh, that's hard. That was a really tricky part of the course, because nobody could see. Yeah. It was, everybody was blinded by the reflection coming off the water, and then the sun actually in your eyes. So that was actually the only point in the race where there was a lot of body contact, because you come around to turn, everybody tightens up, Mm -hmm. nobody can see where they're going, everybody's Mm -hmm. swimming all different directions. Um, So I guess we got a little bit of that. Right, right. (laughs) What's your goal time for Sacramento? Gosh, I even hesitate to say. Uh, At least as fast as 13.30, maybe faster. (laughs) I'd love to go under 13. I'd love to say I'm going to go under 12, but... Yeah. Gosh, I don't know. Just make it, just go finish it, right? I'm going to, yeah, well, that should be goal one, goal A. The A goal is to finish. B goal, maybe a 13.30. How about, let's go crazy and say a sub-13. Maybe I'll surprise myself. There you go. Yeah. We'll see. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Well, you know what? Thank you. It's, I was looking forward to this. I was hoping that it would have been a different you know, conversation. <laughs> yeah, but, but I think that you know, listeners probably might have gotten more out of this because it is. It's always tough to talk about the hard races mm-hmm. once they didn't go well. But they're such good learning experience. They are, and and I think one thing that came, I came away with is that it's not really. I always thought of a DNF as a, as a failure. I failed to finish. But I think what I'm realizing is that it, it like you said, it's, it is a learning experience. I, I mean, hey, I did over half of it. Well, it <laughs> so, and those are, you know, and it's only in your head because you know what the conditions were. Right. And of course, so you're, you know, you're always hard on yourself, even though you know what they were, but mm-hmm. like, I still didn't finish. Right. It's like, come on, that's ridiculous. He, yeah, and that's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, that's, it's almost not like a DNF even. It's almost actually, why did I even start the damn thing? Well, there is some of that too. You know, yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, but it is, you know, it isn't, I, I, you know, somebody had said to me that, you know, DNFs really should stand for did not fail because, you know, you still put in the training, you mm-hmm. still showed up and started, um, and there still was some learning that came out of it, of the whole experience. So yeah. I guess looking at that regard, it's not a failure. Right. It, no, it totally isn't. And I'm sure you'll succeed in Sacramento. I plan to. I'm looking forward to hearing about those results. But thank you so much for coming back on. Thanks for having me.